Well, we are jumping back into Samuel, coming very, very close to the end of our sermon series. I think we started, what it was, back in January or something? I can't remember exactly. And we've been in this for a while, looking at the story, really, of the Lord our God as king. And yet the people of God, ancient Israel, rejecting the Lord as king, God raising up Saul, who fails, and then another king, David. But the truth of the matter is, the Lord never ceased to be the king over his people. He still is today the true king. Yes, God raised up a Saul. Yes, he failed the Lord. We looked at that particularly last week as he turned to a medium. Then he raises up David, but he remains king over all. And this is why, by the way, Jesus fulfills this so perfectly. He is the son of David, as promised, but he is also the restoration of God himself as the king over his people. He is sovereign over our lives. He's all-powerful, and he is majestic. He's the king. But he's also good and kind and merciful and loving. In the passage we're looking at today, 1 Samuel 29, we see how the Lord, our king, reigns over his people. Um, We see David sort of having to choose between two kings. And in the end, it's really his true king, the Lord God, who rescues him. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 29, short chapter, but we're going to get through the whole thing to see the Lord our King reigns over his people. Follow with me on the screen, or if you want to open up your Bible, feel free to do so. Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands... And David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest, and to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. For I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are blameless, as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then, rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you. 
and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, but the Philistines went up to Jezreel. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and study and application of his word this morning. The Lord our King reigns over his people. That's a phrase that David himself uses, the Lord my King, and it's not clear in that passage who he's actually referring to. But here's where we're going in this sermon here. First, we're called to live in enemy territory. We see that in verses 1 through 5. Then our faith in the king should stand out, our faithfulness to him, 6 to 10. And then verse 11, we can trust our king to protect us from evil. But here's the setting in the beginning in chapter 29, verse 1. David is living in Philistia among the Philistines. Now keep in mind, this is these are the sworn enemies of Israel over a long, long period of time. In fact, the term Palestinian may actually be rooted in the word Philistine, even if there's not a genealogical root. And so that sort of enmity may still be existing. Here we are in 2021. Well, David had to escape Saul, and so he left Israel, went to Philistia, and then becomes the personal bodyguard of a king named Achish. Now, to understand this, you do need to understand a little bit of the political structure of Philistia. I won't spend forever, I won't bore you forever on this, but there were five major cities, and each of those five major cities has a king. Well, David serves the king of Gath. His name is Achish. Of course, then our four other kings, that's who he deals with in this passage as well. And as we saw, there is a big major battle arising here. And this isn't the little skirmishes we've seen between the Philistines and Israel. This is it. This is a big one. Uh, this is their, their, uh, Israel has seen that the Philistines brought this huge, enormous army, the majority of their army, to Aphek. And so Israel gathers their army in a place called Jezreel near a spring. And of course, David, as the personal bodyguard of one of the kings, takes his 600 men or so and marches into the war uh, being called to be to support the Philistines. Well, when the other four kings see these 600 Hebrews, they say, no way. No way is this happening. What are these Hebrews doing here? We're going to war against the Hebrews. And they're sort of bringing up the rear there. And the Lord say, uh, they're not going to fight with us. Achish, the king says, no, no, you've got to understand, uh, David has been so faithful to me since, we've gone, since he's come over to our side. And the other four lords still say, no way, send him back. There's no way he's going. What better way for him to regain the favor of his own king in Israel than to turn on us in the middle of the battle, which, by the way, may be what David is planning on doing. We'll look at that later on. And they say, isn't, isn't that song we hear about David? So it's interesting to hear this little song uh, this little medley about David is actually spread into the Philistines. Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And so David is sent away. But notice that, that David is having to live in enemy territory. He has to learn to be loyal and faithful to the Lord, and really to his own people in Israel, while living in the enemy's land. You can imagine the difficulty of that. The battle had to sort of strike in trying to serve King Achish in a way that is faithful and yet never truly turn on him, on his own people. In fact, we can see the struggle in, in uh, 1 Samuel 27. David takes his men, he goes out on raids. 
And he tells Achish that he's raiding Israel, which he's not. He's actually raiding the Amalekites and these other nations that are more favorable to the Philistines there. But trying to be faithful when surrounded by the culture, the worldview, the gods of the nations, not an easy thing to do. Not the only time in Israel's history, by the way. The northern kingdom is later on exiled in 722 BC by the Assyrians. And they're brought into Assyria. So basically the way it worked in the ancient world is we're not going to waste our conquered lands. We're going to take the best people, according to them, from the land and bring them home. And we're going to use them. The same thing happens later on in 586 with Babylon as they conquer Israel. That's where we have Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, living there in Babylon. And even by the first century, which we like to focus on because of Jesus, uh, when Rome occupied Israel, it was still Israel, but they didn't really have control. Rome sets up their king, Herod, who's not even really Jewish, he's Idumean. They put Pontius Pilate, who's the governor, in charge, uh, and he's just a cruel man, a cruel leader. They can't really practice their own ways entirely. It's as if they're living in exile. This is important, friends, because today I think we as Christians are called to similarly live among the nations. And the world around us is not always favorable to us. And yet our king is with us no matter where we are. Maybe David couldn't go to the tabernacle and worship. Maybe David couldn't practice every aspect of his ceremonial life. But the Lord our God, Lord our King is with us no matter where we are. Friends, in so many ways this parallels what we as Christians are called to do. The Bible describes us as aliens and sojourners in a country not our own. It calls us to be ambassadors for Christ. Ambassador is a, it's a high role to play. right? We only, when we send an ambassador to a foreign country, what are we doing? We're, we're sending someone that we think represents our country in its best light. We're called to represent heaven to this world. A place that we've not yet been. <laughs> but nevertheless, we've experienced and we've tasted We're called to not get too comfortable in this world because, one, it's not going to last. We know that. We've seen that in particular these last year, two years, so many of our church members going on to glory. But even our relationship to this world changes so quickly. The truth is the world will never actually fully be on our side. I think it's an important reminder for us as Christians we may gain a temporary favor from the culture around us. We may even at times have the government's favor upon Christianity. And certainly in the United States, we have had so much favor from those in governing authority for a long time. But that can change in a heartbeat. Our calling is to, be, is to seek to be faithful wherever we are. The values around us, the worldview around us, the gods that surround us, they will change. And they will always be, often be in direct contrast to what we as Christians believe, and we're called to be faithful, no matter what. I would just say, too, to take a minute, it's a picture that uh, Josh just put up there, but pray for those who are in particularly bad enemy territory. 
who are oppressed and persecuted, who are ostracized. I'm going to do a, a fall series, I think, on global missions. And the point of that is not to make you feel guilty for living in a country that is far more favorable, but rather to be grateful and to pray for those. We're going to actually hear from folks who are ministering and serving in some of these countries around the world. But our king is with us no matter what happens in the world around us. And our faithfulness to the king should stand out. Verses 6 to 10. Our faithfulness, our loyalty to the king in the midst of enemy territory should actually stand out. Achish here speaks with David. And he says to him, as the Lord lives. Now that's interesting. We'll look more at that in a second. But he literally is saying, as Yahweh, as the covenantal name of God for Israel lives. It's a a, common way to make an oath in Israel, not among the Philistines. But the king of Gath says, as the Lord lives, David, you have been honest. You have been trustworthy. I would be happy to have you march along with me into battle. In fact, I have seen no wrong in you. You have been blameless by me. But nevertheless, you've got to go home. <laughs> you cannot come with me. You have to go back and go back peacefully. Don't make a big deal because I was outvoted. These other four lords do not want you with me. So time to go home. But Achish has seen David's integrity. In fact, David puts up a little bit of a fight. He says, what have I done wrong that you would not allow me to go into battle with you? I've served you from the very first day I came into Philistine territory until now. And Achish has to say, you are as blameless in my sight, David, as an angel of God. But still, it's not going to happen. Go home in the morning. David's faithfulness to the true king stands out to Achish. He had an impact on him. I think he had a spiritual impact on him. I'm not saying Achish came to faith in the God of Israel, the God of gods, the, the true God. But nevertheless, the fact that The king of Gath would make an oath in the name of the God of Israel. It's very strange. In his reference to an angel of God, it seems to be that David's faith, not just his character, but his very faith, has really stood out to this king. One commentator, Joyce Baldwin, says, As the Lord lives is unexpected in a Philistine oath. Can it be that Achish has committed himself to David's Lord? Or is he being courteous to David and not swearing by Philistine gods? We don't know. We'll find out, I think, eventually in glory. What would have happened next? We'll look at that in a bit. When David says, my desire is to go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king, who's he referring to? Is he referring to Achish? Or is he referring to Saul? Or is he referring to the Lord God? We don't know for sure. We can say, though, up to this point, David has stood out in his character and in his faith. That is not an easy thing to do. To have your sworn enemies who hate your people praise you as much as Achish does here. Friends, does your life stand out? (laughs) Are you salt and light? Are we as a church a city on a hill? Do people see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven, as Jesus says? Would your neighbors, your co-workers, your extended family, your friends say, you know what, Rick is different. Not a bad different, but he is just different. <laughs> he stands out. His 
values are not like this world's values. His gods are not like this world's God. It's the living, true God. And he takes his faith seriously. Would you stand out? Would you stand out so much that even your enemies, even your enemies, they may say, you know what? I don't like you. (laughs) Um, But deep down, I have to admit, you're the real deal. You really believe what you say, and your character really does stand out. Friends, the reason why we as a church seek to love our neighbor, one of the reasons, one is just because we want to relieve suffering, but one of the reasons we feed the hungry in our city and we seek to be generous to those in need and we are seeking to house the homeless. By the way, that's what our city has told us by its officials is the biggest need in Haverhill, physical need in Haverhill, and we're trying to help address that very need. Is we want people to see in us the king. We seek to be blameless. Blameless doesn't mean perfect. Nobody's perfect. We're sinful. We're broken people. But blameless means there's no obvious hypocrisy. There's no blatant, unrepentant sin in our life that the world can say, aha, they caught you Christians. You Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites after all. Are we faithful to the Lord? What happens in this situation is ultimately under the providence of God. We can trust that our king will protect us from evil. The last verse sort of includes this whole section here. David and his men set out early in the morning. Uh, It's emphasized pretty clearly. He's told three times, early in the morning, you need to leave. Early in the morning, make sure you go. When the light finally starts in the next day, you better be gone, David. Okay, so end of the day, love you. You think you're a great guy, but you better be gone come daybreak. And he goes. He leaves the war. Goes back to the land of the Philistines, so he's still in exile. Still not welcome home yet. In fact, he has some more trials. We'll look at that in a couple weeks here. His own home, uh, where his, all his, his people are, is raided. But the day is drawing near when David and his men will be welcomed back with open arms and he will be anointed or ordained as king the philistines head to jezreel for war and as i mentioned they have the upper hand they would eventually win that battle saul and his sons will die and it's a horrible defeat for israel i don't know if david would have affected the war we're not told that and maybe that's under the providence of god why he wasn't meant to be part of it if he did turn on his people, what would have, that have changed the outcome? Eventually, David, as king, goes to war against the Philistines and does win a victory, much later on in 2 Samuel. But notice that God spared David from what is undoubtedly a lose-lose situation. <laughs> I mean, what do you think David would have done? It's guesswork at this time, but what do you think he would have done? My guess, he would have turned on the Philistines. And would have fought ultimately for Saul. He would have turned and killed the, inside, the officers as best he could with his 600 men. Maybe fallen in battle, lost some men. But he would have turned on him. Even still, even marching into war though with the Philistines. Would have been a picture that the Israelites would not be able to forget. He would still be seen as a traitor. Living among the Philistines and, mar- and starting off the war, the battle for them. I mean, would they see him as their future king, a man who actually marched against our own people? And honestly, would God want that type of treachery? 
even for the right reasons, to betray Achish still stinks of something wrong, of something immoral here. Maybe you think he would have fought for the Philistines. Maybe that would have betrayed everything about David and his life to fight against his own people in Israel. But what happens is, God spares him from sin. God leads him out of temptation and delivers him from the evil one. You know, there's a a sort of whole branch of ethics um, that speaks of always trying to choose the lesser of two evils, right? Or three evils, or however many evils in our life. The greatest good in any situation. you're, You're posed constantly with different choices, you got to choose which is the most moral and which is, does the least amount of harm. Throw that out <laughs> when it comes to the Bible. The Bible says we choose what is good and only what is good. This is how it said in 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You say, well, Pastor Rick, you're saying that I'm never going to be in a situation and that's going to be difficult to make a choice. No, definitely will be in life, but there is always a right thing to do in that situation. been a Christian for 25 years or whatever. I've never been in a situation that I had no choice but to choose evil. I have chosen evil. (laughs) Don't misunderstand me. I'm a sinful human being, but I've never been in a situation where I feel like I had no other choice but to do what is wrong. And here we see God protecting him from a situation that would have really been a lose-lose scenario. Choose to do good. Don't seek to compromise. Right now, you guys, some of you may be dealing with a situation right now, you're trying to make a choice. (laughs) You're stuck between two options here. And you don't know which one is right. Don't try to weigh which one is better than the other and so forth in terms of which greater good Seek to obey what the scriptures reveal. Trust the Lord with its outcome. Pray for wisdom. Seek wisdom from others. But move ahead with what you know in your heart and mind and from the scriptures to be right. And when you sin, as you and I most certainly will, look to God for grace and forgiveness. That's found in Jesus. We're going to sin. We're going to fail. We're going to mess up. That's why we need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. The Lord, our King, reigns over his people. He reigns over his church. Yes, he raises up earthly people to do different things, like David, but he is the Lord over his church. Not me, not Pastor Mike, not the elders or the deacons. He's the Lord over his church. We may find ourselves in enemy territory. The world will not always be friendly to God's people. All the more should our love and loyalty to the true king stand out, the Lord Jesus. My Lord, the king, never ceases to watch over us as his people. Would you pray with me? Our great and our gracious Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you today, right here and right now, are still the king 
over your people. In fact, we have the son of David died and risen from the dead at the right hand of the Father who is our King forever. And we are awaiting the great day of his return. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. And may our faithfulness stand out. May our blamelessness and our love and trust in you. May our devotion to a king greater than this world and our loyalty to a kingdom that is better than any of the kingdoms of this world stand out to our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers and our family that they might ask, who is this king? (laughs) And we might tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless us, Lord, as we seek to navigate hard decisions in this life. Help us as we know your word well. Pray for wisdom. Certainly ask others for good wisdom as well. But seek only to do what is good in your eyes. And when we fail, to know that grace and forgiveness comes in Jesus. Repentance and restoration awaits for those who turn and trust in him. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for its wisdom. Help us, Lord, as your people to submit to your perfect will in Jesus Christ. Amen.